0: Hey, everybody. It's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It is really great to have you here. On today's episode, I sit down with my old friend and the owner of the Record Lounge, Heather Frary. We talk about spending a life in the record business, being an independent and women-owned shop in a male-dominated industry, the rising prices of vinyl, and a whole bunch more. Get ready, nerds. What's up, my friends? It's Maddie C. It's really great to have you here. Uh, newsflash: I'm old. Um, I have been home from tour now for three weeks and a few days, and I'm still not fully recovered. Um, I am still out of sorts. I don't have a schedule yet. Uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, weird uh, grogginess going on in my life. It's uh, it's it's not bad. It's just it's interesting how long it's taking me back. Uh, to get back into the, to, to the swing of things, I guess it's, uh, it's been interesting. Um, anyway, how are you? Uh, what a great show I have for you today. Uh, my friend Heather Frere is here from, from the record lounge. Uh, and any of you in Michigan, probably, uh, if you're a, a, a record collector and a vinyl lover, you probably, probably know Heather. And if not, you're going to get to meet her today, and we'll get to that in just a minute. A couple quick things. Number one, um, if you are in Michigan and you are on the west side of the state, or if you're not and you feel like a road trip, um, my band The Stick Arounds have a pair of shows over on the west side of the state uh, this Friday and Saturday, Friday night. Uh, We will be at Speciation Ales, which is in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, that's Friday night. And then on Saturday, we'll be doing a public event in Grand Haven called Walk the Beat. That's an afternoon show from three to five. So make sure you uh, you check us out. You can find us on the socials at Stick Arounds uh, over on Facebook and Instagram and all those spots. And you can also go to PhonoForRecords.com and find out more over there. I uh, also wanted to remind you all, as I have to do every single episode and week, this show is powered by your financial support. That's right, your subscriptions make this possible so that I can carve out time from my day. You give me a little bit of money because you enjoy what I do or because you appreciate me or whatever it is that whatever's motivating you to send me money because you appreciate the work here. And that kind of keeps this train rolling. And that way I can kind of set aside some hours every week. Um, I'll be honest with you, that, that train has not been rolling real well lately. And if you've been thinking about making a subscription, uh, that now would be a good time to, to, to do that. Um, that would really feel good. Um I feel like the work here is really good, and this thing has been growing over the six months I've been doing it, and I'm really excited about that. But um, it has kind of slowed down, and um, without you know some kind of a big uh, exposure or break, some kind of a thing where I get a big guest or somebody invites me onto their pod, and that leads to and that I'm always working on that, and that could happen. And I'm not saying I'm giving up or anything, but like. What I am saying is, sometimes the momentum is difficult to generate, even though you're continually doing the work. So, if you've been thinking about, you know, signing up for a paid subscription, and you've been thinking, "Oh yeah, man, I gotta do that," it'd be a really nice thing. Not only could I use a couple bucks, but I could use the encouragement to go, "Hey, Matty, keep doing what you're doing. I really like this. Um, keep keep rolling." Um, so, if you've been thinking about this, and even if you just want to send a note of encouragement, I'm not asking for pity, but I'm just I'm being I'm being vulnerable and honest. Um, You know, I, I, this thing is really important to me and it seems like it's really kind of touched some people and I want to be able to keep doing this. And to be honest with you, I want to be able to keep doing it consistently and keep doing it well. And for that to happen, I have to carve out regular time. And to do that, I have to make a little bit of money. So, um, I'm going to shut up about that issue now. Um, and, uh, make sure you're, you're communicating with me too. Uh, you can send me an email, email. Over at whatamimakingblog at gmail.com. Send me comments, questions, suggestions, guest ideas, other pods I should be trying to reach out to and, and talk to, uh, new bands, new songs. Uh, send me music. Anybody got any TV show recommendations? Because I'm really running dry. I've I've gone through a lot of stuff in the last few months and I feel like I'm really running out of good ideas. So if you got something, send it over to me at whatamimakingblog at gmail.com or you can go to Speakpipe.com slash, what am I making? And you can tell me what you're excited about right now, or you can give me an idea, or you can say, Hey, Maddie, uh, how come you don't talk about this? Or how come you talk about that so much? Any of that stuff would be welcome and, and great and uh, completely open to your interpretation. So, Uh, What am I making blog at gmail.com is the email speakpipe.com slash. What am I making is how you leave me a voicemail using the mic on your phone or your computer. Uh, Let's get into my guest, shall we? Um, Heather Frary has spent her life in record stores. It wasn't planned to work out that way. It just happened. She landed a job at the legendary warehouse records in East Lansing when she was not even 16 years old. And then through the mid-90s, nearly 20 years later, Heather was still on the retail front lines as the music industry continued to shift and morph and change from the CD era through to the age of the internet. In 2008, Heather opened the Record Lounge in its first location in East Lansing in the corner of a basement in a vintage clothing shop. And from there, her shop has grown changed locations multiple times, nearly failed more than once, and become a bedrock of the Lansing area music community. In fact, to celebrate Heather, the Record Lounge, and the city of Lansing, my band The Stickarounds filmed a music video for our song, Ode to Kid Marine, at the shop and in the surrounding neighborhood. Third spaces like the Record Lounge are crucial to any vibrant scene and music and arts community. It's super rare that I visit Heather at her shop and I don't run into one or two other folks that I know from the local creative community. It is a place to meet, connect, hatch ideas, and even network. As her locations and the times have changed, so too have her customers. They are becoming younger and more ethnically diverse. Sure, there are still plenty of hermetic Unkempt middle-aged men such as myself trolling around the local record shops, but that audience is expanding. That expansion, though, has been challenging for new collectors as vinyl prices have risen astronomically in the last few years. Heather and I dive into the details of why records have become so expensive, why they take so long to produce, and what that actually means for the industry and for stores like the Record Lounge. Heather's story is also unique in that not only are the buyers of vinyl records mostly men, record shops are overwhelmingly owned and run by dudes. The last I knew, the Record Lounge was the only woman-owned and run record store in the entire state of Michigan. And even if one or two women owners have been added to the fold in recent years, and I hope that's the case, it is still a male-heavy industry, and voices like Heather's are crucial to creating a welcome and open environment. Every city, every great city has a shop like the Record Lounge and folks like Heather. I often feel like part of my work here is to make sure that we appreciate those folks in the moment and that we remember that many of these sacred spaces are in danger of going under and going away forever. Now, as Heather nears 60, it's forced her to reflect on her legacy how much longer she wants to go at this pace, with this level of responsibility, and what this journey has meant to her and how it's defined her life. And in many respects, where am I go from here? So here now is my chat with my friend and a very proud member of my local creative community, the owner of the Record Lounge, Heather Frary. there we go um yeah so thank you for doing this
1: you're Um, welcome
0: uh i don't really have an agenda i was just going to kind of fly by the seat of my pants so let me grab my notebook here so as i think of things i can write them down like i said weird weird day uh how was your day
1: um it was it was all right you know like for some reason last week was probably our slowest week all summer in fact in a long time really you know yeah and even like we're usually swamped friday saturday yeah and this it just wasn't and i think the the whole thing behind it is school at MSU. kids start coming back the 21st so right. school's starting it's just people are trying to get their last minute things done
0: um you know? And there's that, that like last push for like getting in a vacation before the world goes back to normal and all that, all that stuff. So
1: it was, um, usually it's just me and the oddities guy in the back on Tuesday. Yeah. And it's been, he left at two o'clock. Okay. (laughs) So I was actually, I had people up until like a couple minutes ago.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: It is. It is. Actually, the girl bought, you know, Chance the Rapper is, right? Yeah, I do. I'm an well, old man,
0: but I know that name, for sure.
1: Normally, between him and this other guy, Frank Ocean, their vinyl, there's only small batches. And this one I had was a bootleg, and that's basically all you can get. And it was 95 bucks, and the girl wow. bought it. Wow. So there, that, that was a great last sale.
0: And, and how old of a, because this was one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about. How how old of a, you said younger person?
1: No, it was, well, I couldn't really tell. So maybe she was in her 30s. It was okay. hard to tell. It looked like okay. she's lived a little rough. Okay. She had very long hair dreads. Got it. Um, yeah, she looked a little bit older, but she might have lived hard too. <laughs> no, so.
0: Yeah, it's always dangerous to make that supposition on people, isn't it? It's a little scary. Um, it is.
1: It is. Like um, people look at me, do they see that I'm going to be sixty in December? Maybe I don't I, know.
0: I know you and have known you for a really long time, and that doesn't seem possible to me. Ugh. First of all, it, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem feasible, and second, you don't you don't look your age. Don't. I'll
1: tell you this 60 thing is really bothering me.
0: What do you think it is about that number that's that's um, sticking with you?
1: Um, I think because you start thinking oh well there's 10 years till 70. Oh 20 till I'm 80. Am I almost gonna am I gonna be gone soon or that's what I think about.
0: And you think you're having this, um, discussion with yourself more than you did when you turned 50, for example? Oh,
1: absolutely. A lot more like 50. Okay. Didn't, I didn't bother me at all.
0: It didn't really bother me. I mean, it was only last year, but it didn't really affect me. Um, but I can see that, I mean, 60 is the decade in which we sort of think about retiring. That's when that's yeah. when sort of the, the cultural expectation is that's sure. Sadly, changing for most Americans, but, um, it's How do you feel like that has, um, do you feel like that discovery or that that sort of impending milestone is affecting the way you approach things at the store or the way you've thought about maybe your legacy or anything like that? Well,
1: yeah, you know, I'm starting to think about it more because um, my husband, he's talking about retiring in a year or two years. And then what am I going to do? I would love to keep this going for at least five more years because it's doing great. I love it. And people seem to really like the shot. So I'm going to keep it going for as long as I can. But I have thought about what I'm going to do when that time comes. Um, You know, when I I'm going to sell it. Just the contents when if you buy it, you buy the entire contents. You do not buy the name. Okay because I worked too hard for that. That was a lot of work, (laughs)
0: Um, I think. And and the reality is that that brand is you and you are that brand in many ways. Right. When you build an individual thing like you have done over how many years?
1: Uh, 15. 15. Yeah.
0: In four different locations. Yep. Okay. so you're talking about a lot of talking about a lot of blood, sweat and tears, literally.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um,
0: and, and you are still an unusual store. It's becoming less unusual, but you are not only, uh, run by a woman, but you're owned by a woman. Um, Mm -hmm. are you, you and Annie are the only two full-time staff members, right?
1: Um, she's part-time. She's only here a day and a half.
0: Okay. But But, I mean, you guys are, but essentially the two of you, those two women are sort of the front facing entity that is the record match.
1: Yes. Yep. Just her and I, um, people love bill. They love bill a lot.
0: Bill's wonderful.
1: And he actually got a little melancholy last week about, you know, he's 70 and, um, he started thinking about, oh, what's it going to be like when he can't do this anymore? And he he started crying. And I said, wow. yeah, Bill, you know, it is something to think about. He goes, you know, actually working here in the store has kept him going. It's kept him happy. You know, he loves talking to people. I mean, that's his that's his thing.
0: The, it, and there's a there's a purpose to it. You know, there's there's a I'm going to get up and go work at the store today. And it's not it's not, you know, it's not I have to do this to put food on the table or that I have to do this to identify myself. But it's a it's a it's an endeavor in a community that he looks forward to and he wants to participate in. And
1: that
0: and that I think is I mean, don't you think that is sort of the beauty of, you know, you said you, you, you spent all this time and all this effort building a name. Mm -hmm. And yet I think about all of the people who sort of gave that back to you in ways, not just with their dollars, but with genuinely with their community.
1: Yep, absolutely. I mean, I don't think, you know, I probably could have done this in another city or town, but being that I grew up here and actually where the store is right now, I grew up on the south side of town. So it's kind of brought me back to where I started you know.
0: Um, okay so so your journey in this business begins at warehouse, right?
1: yep yeah
0: okay. so and when would
1: have been so uh, when do you
0: get that when do you get that gig and what is your life like when you get it?
1: Um, I started in uh, September of 1979. Wow. I was in high I just started high school actually i started a month prior high school i went to everett and i thought man working in a record shop and i'm in high school i'm the coolest person
0: you must have been like 15
1: i was going yeah i almost i was gonna turn 16 in. oh my god okay a couple months Wow. so yeah i thought i was just the shit you know in high school
0: oh my god you were and um and 1979, it, that's a pretty good year to get your first gig at a record store.
1: Oh my God. You, you know all the shit that came out there? Oh my year. God.
0: It's unreal. Um,
1: I mean, you have like the cars, you've got Super Trent, Breakfast in America. You've got. Yeah, I mean, I mean was when so you said much.
0: 79, the first thing I thought it was that first Cars record.
1: Oh, yeah. Is just Absolutely. ridiculous. I mean, it's i just, love, I bought that. They used to have these things at the Civic Center called the Half Off Fair or the half off sale and there was different, you know, shops down there. And I remember buying my first cars album there. Wow.
0: That, was, it was, just, that probably was two
1: bucks. <laughs>
0: oh my God. Yeah. Half off. That's incredible. So, yeah. and you were at Warehouse for quite a long time, right?
1: I was, I went, uh, let's see. So it was 79. I graduated in 82. Um, I, got married in that September we left we came back in 86 and that's I started back at warehouse then so I was out in East Lansing
0: okay um and uh and you were there basically through the 90s right
1: yeah I was there uh 10 years because I left in 96
0: okay so by the time you left that business was really changing
1: you were starting
0: to kind of see the writing on the wall if you left so if you left in 96 97 that's really when you start to sort of see the cracks in the,
1: the facade right big time um that's when I had worked in the main warehouse I became the cassette buyer and at that point Denny was starting to get rid of people and I thought you know instead of him getting rid of me I'm just gonna I'm gonna bow out gracefully and I left, um, but that's when all the box shops started moving in, like Best Buy, right. Tower had just, I think, moved in in East Lansing.
0: And I don't want to make it, like, you don't want to, lo- you know, I don't want to hyper-localize it, but I think it's important, sort of, in the context of your story to kind of talk about, for people who don't understand, in a college town like East Lansing, at the time that the Tower came in, in the, what was it, the, the very early uh, '90s, like '92, '93. Well,
1: gr- I, I feels it like mid- it feels like
0: the grunge era kind of hit at the same time. Tower showed up in East Lansing.
1: Yeah, um, I think it was mid '90s because okay. Warehouse was still going full on. Um, I remember having, you know, we'd have a lot of in stores still. You know, like uh, they might be Giants came in.
0: The two big ones that, the two big ones that I remember were. The Pearl Jam Pizza Party.
1: Oh, the, I was there. I've got my signed thing.
0: And and they might be giants. And they might be giants was nuts. It was nuts.
1: It, it was it was amazing. But do, do you remember Pearl Jam not being as big because nobody really knew them yet? Uh,
0: so and and people who because I didn't go to the show. I just went to the in store. Yeah. But um, my my recollection is. That they were opening for
1: I think it was Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins or I something. was even
0: gonna say it was Black Crows but I could be wrong it doesn't matter yeah. uh I remember them being the opener right Smashing, Smashing Pumpkins is a good guess too doesn't matter somebody will look this up and we'll, and we'll we'll educate us online I'm sure
1: oh absolutely uh, uh
0: regardless they were as I recall opening for a bigger band and so, so sort of like the were they an Electra
1: uh, they were on sony
0: they're on sony okay so yeah so the- and
1: they and they had just put 10 out like just right.
0: yeah and this was like this was like their first tour
1: it was yeah and
0: uh and this was at a time when my wife was working at harmony house which was kind of a
1: oh yeah sort of
0: a a, a competing outlet that was similar to warehouse and this would have yeah. been she worked maybe a little after this happened but it's the same kind of thing where they would take new bands and they would really push
1: oh big uh, time you know back like, when they had that kind of money to do yeah <laughs>
0: and so like I can remember like just getting hordes of cds and people throwing passes and tickets at you all the time and all you were oh, yeah. you were basically just a, a cash register jockey
1: yeah, and they were just throwing much.
0: stuff at you yep. yeah yeah so that's so you take some, you basically take some time off. You go through this sort of, like you sort of ride out the golden age
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? of, of, right. of the, of the, 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 the CD era of retail. Yeah. And at that, and at that point, basically you've survived three formats in a 20 year period. <laughs> yeah.
1: Pretty much. Right? Yeah. You come yeah. in
0: and, and well, technically it's four actually. Cause because when I
1: because when When you come in
0: are eight tracks still a thing or have they basically yeah i was
1: gonna say when i first started at warehouse we had cassettes we had albums and eight tracks were still there and then by the time i left they were gone um when i left warehouse and came back and just for a visit so i would have came back in 84 for a visit before we went to hawaii um cds had totally taken over yeah and it was just like that it was crazy
0: it was um i it's funny i don't know if anyone's ever gonna do like a deep dive but i feel like there's a documentary that's rife for the making Mm -hmm. in the way in the way that like the moment was perfect for like CDs and VHS at that moment in the early to mid 1980s when there was this like aspirational culture of greed and sort of like the power <laughs> of Reaganomics and, yeah. technology, and technology was going to be the new savior and the new religion and having things made you a better person and all of this like stuff that is sort of baked in now and we take it for granted all of that stuff kind of shifted at that moment and so yeah you know it was the first time where everybody was like, I already have this thing, but I'm going to go out and spend money on it again. And oh, like, no. there was a, and there was a whole generation of people who were like, what the hell are you doing?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, but look at what they're doing now. Like people my, our age are now, they might've gotten rid of their collection years and years ago. Oh, Cause sure. I have people saying, Oh my God, I sold all my stuff to FBC back in the eighties. well, now they're buying it all back again, and right. probably quadruple the price they bought it oh, back then,
0: and probably more.
1: Oh, um, um, yeah, it's gotta be. Um, what
0: does your what does your customer base look like? I mean, there is kind of a there's kind of a trope that basically the average record store uh, patron looks and sounds <laughs> and behaves a lot like me. You, you know,
1: know, I I it's, think it's middle
0: aged. It's middle aged dudes with a little bit uh of disposable income and a hobby and an you know but like is it as solidified as that is it like is it all just dudes who grew up in the 80s and have an affection for it or is there a new culture that's growing out of this
1: it used to be when i first opened probably those first i would say three years that's what it was it was all guys probably between i don't know 35 40 something that's that was my customer base and then that was out in East Lansing too but since I've moved here my customer base is so diverse and I love that I I have everybody under the sun coming in here and that's what makes it makes me happy because I see maybe a young 12 year old white kid buying something and then I have you know, I've got every ethnicity, every age group coming in. And I love that.
0: I noticed uh, the last several times I have been in that I have noticed not only young people, but young black people.
1: Oh, in, yeah. in your
0: store. And what I'm a I'm really encouraged a that young people are out and they're engaged and that they're interested and that they are whether they're buying vinyl or buying other stuff, the fact that they're trying to have some sort of a, an investment relationship with the music that they listen to. Mm -hmm. That's encouraging for me, both as a listener and as a maker of music. Right. To see that that's happening in communities that typically haven't been often welcomed or encouraged or able, I guess. I don't want to, I don't want to speak or other But I think I think there's been kind of a closed off nature that there's been a sort of an insular cultural community within record stores for it to be predominantly male, predominantly Mm -hmm. white, predominantly rock and roll and fairly straightforward and and not super, as you said, diverse. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you feel like as you've sort of seen your clientele change with your location that your store has changed and the inventory has changed because of
1: it? Oh, huge. Yeah. Big time. It's like that just, you know, younger black males, but I've got young girls coming in here buying and they go through hip hop. But then again, all of a sudden I've got people buying Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and they're young, they're young kids in high school still. And I always, I always ask where, where are you hearing this at? Where are you, you know, what, how is this stuff grabbing you? A lot of times it's through movies, which that seems to be a big part of it, or Spotify, because Spotify takes them down a little bit of a rabbit hole. A little bit like,
0: a little bit like the YouTube algorithm might. Yes. Um, Yeah. I would be curious to know if they're getting it on Spotify or even if they're maybe doing it on YouTube,
1: which is another way that I've found bands even now. Yeah, and I've done the same on YouTube. Um, um, I wonder what lately is uh, I've probably in the last month and a half, I've had more, I would say, between 15 to 25 year old people buying Joni Mitchell. I can't keep her in stock. And I do believe it's because she took herself off Spotify.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, which which sort of is kind of shocking that you would notice it with a legacy artist like Joni Mitchell. Right. And then you look at it and go, what would happen if a Taylor Swift made a decision like that? Now
1: well, obviously sure. she's
0: she's making a ton of really great decisions, both with her business and in terms of the way that she can influence
1: the, yes.
0: you know, the business and the culture. Um, and her
1: marketing is just out of this world. I, she,
0: she's, she's next level. I'm not, yeah. I'm not uh, the audience for what she does. And I'm not a, um, I'm not like a massive fan, but it is impossible not to appreciate her talent and
1: her. Right. Gift. And, and, you know, I used to poo poo her, you know, or any artists like that because a, it wasn't my thing. And two, I thought it was just like a teeny bopper feel good you know like a Hanson do what right right
0: but she's she's transcended that in so many ways I mean she is she has so much more in common with in in terms of artistic legacy she has so much more common with Prince or Madonna or Michael Jackson than she does with Miley Cyrus or Britney Spears
1: yeah that's totally true
0: in my mind um what I also think has got to be fascinating from your perspective. Is it seems like TikTok has been a pretty massive influence for people finding music?
1: Yeah, it is, honestly. And you know what? Um, I was talking to Chad from um Cravings Popcorn Shop, oh, yeah, and he goes, Heather, you gotta do TikTok, you gotta do TikTok, and I'm like, you know, I don't. I don't know if that's the audience I'm going for. Well, and I, he I, says, well, you're going to get everybody. It's not just young people doing TikTok, you know? Well, I
0: thought what, what, and I guess, uh, and that's, that's a, a super, like, I'm curious, isn't know You and I talked about like, you know, m- maybe me helping you a little bit with, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Um, some YouTube stuff. Yes, but,
1: like, yeah, Like I was,
0: I was even specifically like, I am finding, that there are people who are finding out en masse about songs or bands or records because of TikTok, because people are really? so like yeah. So like um, that was one of the big things. It's my understanding anyway. Again, I'm an old man who's out of touch, uh, but like that was a big push with the resurgence of um, that one uh, Fleetwood Mac song that was everywhere for like
1: because oh, the, yeah the guy looked the, the yeah, ski yeah car,
0: right? yeah. So that whole thing was kind of built out of the the, the sort of the 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 tiktok zeitgeist and sure. i think there's and i think there's a lot of that it's also interesting that you mentioned um that you mentioned movies and and tv um oh, that's huge you know one of the ways that one of the ways that bands actually make money now is through sync licensing so you oh. can't you can't make any money streaming your songs but you know if you're will go or the estate of David Bowie or whatever, if somebody will right. put your song in a TV or sh- TV show or a movie, and it, boom. Can, it can make, it can make at least some money. Um,
1: sure.
0: So I, that was going to kind of be where I, where I went with my next sort of set of questions, which is mm-hmm. these kids that are coming in. Do you think a lot of this is like a hand-me-down from a, a, a parent or a, a mentor, or a older sibling?
1: Um, some are because I do ask. Um, Because I want to know where where they're hearing this stuff, you know, or how because a lot of people will say, well, a lot of my records were given to me from my uncle or my mom or dad or whoever. So I know they're getting it that way for sure. But I do think a majority of it right now is either through commercials or uh, TV or movies. It's a big, a big deal. I mean, Um, I find myself sometimes I'll hear something on a commercial. I'm like, God, that sounds so familiar. And And now you
0: can like Shazam it and in seconds get an answer to what it is and where to get it. And that's what I do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, Greta
1: Van Fleet had, well, they have a new album. The first song they put off on it was in some truck commercial. And I'm like, God, that kind of sounds like Rush. Well, it was Greta Van Fleet. So. Okay,
0: got it. Um, so these kids are finding that music this way. My question, mm-hmm. I guess, would be, or my next question would be, who's, what's the reason they're dipping their toe into vinyl? It's really expensive now. It's not like it's not like it was even a few years ago where you could go and you could build a humble little collection through the Salvation Army and dollar bins. I mean, everybody now is like, oh, you've got records. Don't give those away. Put them on put them on eBay. Take them to a shop. Sell them on discogs, whatever whatever the deal is. So, you oh, right, can't, you can't get it's not like you're going to get a starter kit the way that you once did.
1: No, I mean, I, it used to be so easy, so easy. Go to rummage sales. Oh, we just want to get rid of this stuff. Yep. You know, that's what I used to get. But now people either will say, Oh, I gave it to my grandkids or this or that. Or, Oh, yeah, we saw on eBay that's going for a lot of money. Yeah. So, it's been harder to get things in that respect, because you can't just get it for a quarter a piece. You right. really do have to pay a good amount. And I always like to be fair. And what I'll do sometimes is go on Discogs and I'll see the median price or what it last sold for. I'll give them half of that. You know, I'm not right. just gonna say, oh, five bucks or $2, right. I, I don't do it. I just want I want them to be happy with what they're getting and I don't want them to go to another place and say, Oh, that place is garbage because they don't give you anything for what you're, you know, And
0: it's interesting too, because what has happened is that as technology has made it easier for people who have loved this their whole lives, what it has done is it has made it easier for people to monetize what Mm -hmm. they previously didn't want to invest the time and energy into finding out it was worth. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it changes the game and it changes who can play it. I think. Yeah. I sort of think about it from the perspective of, uh, and things change and probably should, but like I think about it from the perspective of when I was 20, I could go and I could buy a bunch of records really cheap. And most of the records that I bought in my, Late teens and early 20s, I bought because it was cheaper than buying them on CD. Oh, it sure.
1: wasn't, it wasn't yeah. like
0: vinyl was my preferred format. It was okay, I can buy a copy of the new Echo and the Bunny record on CD yeah. and it's $15, or I can buy yeah. it on vinyl and it's nine.
1: Yeah, okay. isn't it? That's now it
0: doesn't wild. take a lot of math for me to understand that that means I can almost buy two records for one CD right so in the mind of a teenager it was really easy to go more is better
1: oh absolutely you
0: know um
1: and now you know I've got the dollar bins well you never know what you're gonna find down there and people love that so I do a lot of young kids do buy dollar vinyl just some of them don't know who the the artist is but they just they're curious they they want to know And there's
0: also, there's also a thing about sort of going through the racks of a store or a library or somebody's house at a garage sale. Yeah. Going through that bin and finding one or two things that you don't know anything about but you're curious enough to take home. Yeah. And once in a while, you can find a magical little treasure and it will have a story with it.
1: Oh, for sure. And it
0: will, it will become... More special because of what it is, not just because of what it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And and one of the things I sort of feel like I miss, and there's so much to love about the experience of digital listening because it's so easy and portable.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: one of the things I miss is there's nothing staring me in the face.
1: Yeah. There's nothing That's saying, true. hey,
0: you haven't listened to me in a while. Yeah. You know, yep. it's other things that sound like this it's other bands that look like this or sound like this or are on this label or have these same tags. And that's great. And again, it's another way for you to find new music, but it's not a good way for you to remember what you bought 20 years ago or what you listened to nine months ago.
1: And even um, like you said, prices are going up and it's almost, it's almost astronomical right now. Um, I would say in the past, probably six months, uh a brand new record i would case in point okay kendrick lamar his first album i used to sell that for 17. Yeah. now my cost is 17 and right. i have to sell that for almost 30 dollars. right and that's kind of the way it's going right now and i don't know if it's the record labels saying oh my god this is a money maker let's make this go up and up and up and see where we can make our money at.
0: Well, I think so. So, so that leads to, but it whole, does
1: cost a lot to make records too. It does. So but, get that.
0: So, so I think, I think, but I think there's a whole ecosystem there. Right. So I, I to me, it seems like what I worry about is that we are creating sort of a, a class system with music. Yeah. Um, so I just read this story recently about, uh, there were tickets on sale for a series of Beyonce shows in the States where it was $300 or more for an obstructed view seat.
1: Oh my God.
0: Okay. Um, There are people who are doing secondhand tickets for her shows and for Taylor Swift and other big people that are going for more than a thousand dollars that are not fancy seats. These are not experiences. Um, Obviously Ticketmaster is a major problem. We've talked about the rising price of vinyl. Yeah. On the flip side, you also have the vast majority of music being consumed with almost no money whatsoever.
1: Mm-hmm. And all
0: of that money is going to to tech companies that are a delivery system. It's not generally speaking going back into the hands of artists or even labels. Right. And so I sort of see what's happening is we're kind of getting into a world where I worry that pop music, specifically pop music and rock and roll done on a physical format is a about to enter an area where it's about like fine art, where there's only a certain group of people who are actually going to have access to the physical, actual, original thing.
1: Mm. Everybody
0: else will have to deal with prints in a shitty poster from Mike or shitty frame from Michael's that you put up on the wall, but you won't actually, (laughs) you won't actually have the thing, you know? And I I realize it's kind of a clunky analogy, but like, are you, are you seeing this happen? I mean, as you see prices go up and up, clearly that's got to mean people buy less and less stuff
1: but it's you, that's what i would have thought too but that's if you could come in on a friday or saturday i'm blown away at the amount of people and this is usually these people are here every week they're coming in and buying four to five records and that's probably about 150 dollars altogether, yeah. if not more so it's almost like they don't really care they just want to get those buying the records is what they're doing i i just i can't figure that out because you know if i didn't have a record shop it would ha- be hard for me to go in and pay full price for a right. record right i, I you know
0: I, and I and again if you have a hobby and you can pay for it and that's what matters to you and brings you joy more power yeah. to you you know and and i'm but not worried also- about I'm not worried about people having access, but I am kind of curious about like sort of the system that is sort of like in many ways propping up the record industry. Right. Yeah. Uh, I had a conversation recently with Joel, uh, a dr- Colonel drummer extraordinaire, the stick arounds and Harbor code and the wild honey collective. Oh every, yeah. Every, every, other band, every other band under the sun. And one of the things Joel and I were talking about is he had recently looked at a list. This was sometime in the spring, but he looked at a list of the, Billboard Hot 100 records. Okay. And by his count, something like 8 or 9 of them were rock records. None of them were new. Oh,
1: none no of kidding. Them,
0: none of them. They were all reissues. They were all
1: So you know, there could be Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac sure and, Fleetwood Mac rumors, boom right and, there. Yeah, Fleet,
0: Fleetwood Mac, um I don't know, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, um Dark Side of the Moon.
1: Um, right.
0: Your typical classic rock
1: stuff, and you know, that is I, I the mean stuff that goes that it, I think that is the stuff that will sell through the end of time, at least through the end of our time, honestly, um, I always want to know. Okay, we're still buying what we bought when we were kids, but what are these kids going to be buying when they're 40 to 50 years old
0: you want to know what i think i think the answer is is hidden inside a a comment you made earlier about kids buying dean martin and frank sinatra records
1: right because look at that there that's the 30s and 40s and they're still buying it
0: right so just i think to me like i look at that and i go okay it's very unlikely that we're going to have an 18th century composer who's going to make some kind of a massive comeback yeah (laughs) right so so we have what we have right and so yeah we are going to as a as as sort of like a larger populace what we are going to do is we are going to go okay here are the 10 greatest composers of all times that everybody knows yeah and and you're going to do that with the beatles and the stones and
1: the kinks and whomever
0: whomever else and 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 in many ways, what I sort of see happening is I see specifically rock music, like guitar-based rock music, mm-hmm. in many ways, kind of just sort of quickly becoming jazz,
1: not in yes. a sonic
0: sense, but sort of occupying the same level of cultural importance. Like True. it is, it is a thing. There is a fervent audience for it, but it is not the uh, it is not the majority taste of choice amongst the larger populace it is not what right. america is listening to at the moment you know yeah. it's it, it it exists more as a time capsule than as a vibrant energetic sort of mass culture thing am i making sense heather
1: Do you oh what I'm totally saying? totally yes i get it um it's just i don't know music is so weird um i've been watching this guy rick Biedo. he's got a guitar youtube channel
0: yeah, he's good. And I've
1: been, I just love this guy. I love all of his, I've been kind of backtracking, watching everything. Um, he's turned me on to like a band called Polythia. They're a guitar-based band, and they are extraordinary. Um, the other band was Animals as Leaders. I've heard of them, but the guy that is the guitar player is just mind-boggling it's just another level so it's like i got into that from there and i'm bringing those records into my store and they're actually selling and that's kind of blew me away I'm bringing- um,
0: i also think that this is another this is another really interesting angle heather that kind of your job now as a brick and mortar retailer the way you set yourself apart is you have to curate a shop
1: and that's, I think I've gotten a few people saying, at least one guy actually came from Brooklyn. And he goes, I have to say, you curate a really good shop. He says, you don't have, you know, a lot of junk. You have a little bit of everything, but you put your own touches on it as to who you bring in here. Because I can't, you. there's no store in the world that can carry everything that people are looking for.
0: Uh, no, so not even, not even Amoeba, the, the world famous Amoeba music in,
1: oh, in no, they can't. they
0: can't do it. Um, plus I think most people don't really understand that. Like when you're talking about that Kendrick Lamar record that costs you $17. Sure. It means if you order 10 of those, that's 170 bucks. Everybody understands that math. Yep. What I think most people think of in the retail sense is that in a typical way, you'd be billed $170 for it. And then you would return whatever was unsold
1: but she can't
0: that's what i wanted to get at so you can tell our fine listeners how it actually works you order 10 kendrick lamar records you pay 170 dollars for them they're yours forever whether you want them or need them (laughs)
1: whether i want those or not yeah um there is a no uh return policy on vinyl and always has Um, been yep i mean I don't get it because, you know, record pressing plants, they're very few and far between. And they are probably so pushed to the to the edge on trying to get things out on time that, yeah, they're letting things slip through the cracks. I get that. But we're the ones that kind of have to explain it all to the consumer. You know, say I had somebody bring in maybe, say, a Motley Crue record. It's a double. Well, they got a Motley Crue record on one side, but the other side was a Tim McGraw record. So it's like a, yeah. So there's quality control, which I know they're really trying, but it's just, it's hard when we're the ones that have to take the heat for it. Well. And I can't send that back. So are
0: you just on the hook for it? They don't do anything for you?
1: And so okay, like I sometimes I'll go through music direct. I save up maybe through two months things that people bring back that are just absurdly wrong or there is something wrong with them. They're not just playing it on a shitty Crosley turntable and it's you know and it's skipping all the way through because we do play them here. And, um, no, there's actually things wrong with them. So I'll, I'll ship them back. I'll get a credit, but it's not what I paid for them, you know? That's
0: bullshit. I know. Um, are there still massive, uh, issues with wait times and getting product, especially like, I remember a couple of years ago when the war on drugs record kind of blew up. I remember that Mm. you had to wait months to get another copy of that.
1: Oh, for sure. Is that,
0: is that kind of stuff still happening?
1: It's getting a little bit better um, now that COVID's, what, like three years past. Um, it's getting better. There are some things that I might sell today, and I probably won't see that again for maybe two months. There's, It's usually either a two- or three-month window if it's something very hot, you know, that I know it's going to sell. Right. Um, you know there for a while a was holding up everything because she had it was an ungodly amount like oh i want to say 000. they made
0: yeah they made like a half a million or a quarter of a million of those and it was on like it
1: took it like all around the world they were pressing her records for her and now i think goodwill somebody threw a picture up at a goodwill and there was like a whole thing of them for nine dollars yeah so I don't know. Um, t- I, I don't think record companies think ahead. Of well,
0: it's all, it's all so reactive, um, which is why it's pretty ludicrous when I hear about corporate leadership talking about running a corporate entity based on an artistic product. So whether we're talking yeah. about the writer strike or the actor strike that's going on right now or the situation with what's going on And the sort of the decimation of the music industry through streaming, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, part of the reason that the music industry fell apart was that the corporate structure that had been sucking at the teat of art for decades didn't have a way to handle a new delivery system. The one thing that they were taxed with doing, which was getting the music in the hands of people was the one yeah. thing that they weren't able to keep control of so that everybody could keep getting paid. And now what's happened is you've got <laughs> them going, oh, we can charge $35 for a Kendrick Lamar record and yeah. everybody wins except for the consumer. And so we'll just keep pumping those up because that's what makes money. And then sure. and then when the, the fad changes, they'll run to whatever the next thing is until they just don't have any wind left to run anymore at all. Yeah. You know, and which that- uh, again... Uh, you know, I don't know that it's a bad thing that maybe this is going to wind up being done at a more independent level that it will be people like, you know, and there's still big, big labels, but people like merge and sub pop and, uh, you know, uh, uh, oh shoot. What's the one in, uh, not parlophone. Um, uh, the one that's polyvinyl polyvinyl thank you very much I totally spaced yeah and matador is another great one um but that you'll you'll have those and then you'll have you know obviously the the smaller labels as well right um do you sort of see that kind of being where uh I guess my question would be how much of your audience is kind of living in that world I mean how much of it is the genuine like whether it's independent hip-hop or Mm -hmm. techno or but how much of it is coming from sort of that mass culture thing and how much of it is just, this is, this is that core group of people who just are just music obsessed and they're going to be a part of this, no matter what.
1: I'd probably say maybe 30, 35% are the people that are really, really into it. I would say the rest are people. They like it. They might've got into it because they're friends into it. If they stay with it, who knows? I, I kind of doubt it, but I would say about thirty-five percent. Okay, so
0: you so basically one out of every three of your customers is an obsessive, roughly. Speaking. Oh, for
1: sure, yeah. Okay. Um, I just remember, you know, and even still today, those companies keep it actually cost-effective. They don't charge people a ton of money. In fact, I don't think they've went up much in the last. 10 years, you know, so.
0: What I think is interesting is to watch, um, to to watch the funneling of, of money and control and power that's happening at a time where people have more and more access to information and to art and to creativity and music. And in mm-hmm. many respects, they're they're relying more and more on a, a shrinking number of entities to get it. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, I, I, it's funny. We we've all had that moment where the power goes out, right? And you go, "Oh yeah, what can I do?" You know, and it and basically it's like, well, if you have a candle in a book, you can entertain yourself, but there aren't a lot of other <laughs> options, right? Yeah. So I sort of feel like there are these steps up from that above losing, but like, you know. I could listen to music for literally years. Oh yeah! If, if the internet shut down today, I would not Man. run out of I would not run out of sounds, and that's it. Doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that I've made wise choices. It just means that that's the reality of my life. Sure. But I think sometimes we forget that we're paying ten or fifteen dollars a month to rent a space that just gives us a thing for another thirty days.
1: Yeah, that's when they
0: walk true. when they walk into your shop. They don't just get a physical product and a thing. They also get an experience.
1: Yeah, it's an, at, you know, the whole atmosphere. I, I want people to walk in here and just feel comfortable and not have to worry about anything for what, maybe 45 minutes to an hour that they're in here looking around.
0: And I, and I think that because you've created a space that is welcoming and because you you spent your life doing this whether you meant to or not you didn't probably draw it up this way but you spent your life selling records to people and sharing music yeah, with people true. that's that's a pretty wonderful legacy you know yeah. I, you're not curing cancer but jesus i mean that's a lot of it seems to me like that's a pretty good way to spend a life when you're when you're sharing something that meaningful and that
1: brings that much joy oh absolutely you know i feel like too when i come into the shop I don't say, "Oh, all right, guys, I'm going to work. I'll see you tonight." This is not work for me, you know. The, I'm going into the shop. I'm going into, you know, listen to music, sit, talk to people, turn them on to something different. You know, that's that's what I do.
0: And and, I and it, love and, it. it be, and it becomes it becomes one of those sort of magical third spaces that exists. in, yeah. in communities that 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 are crucial, and so. It's rare that I come in to the shop and buy something or not and not run into not just you or Annie but or Bill, any number of other people in the community. It's very likely that I'm not going to see just you guys when I come in.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think everybody runs in kind of the same circle or we all kind of know everybody from somewhere else.
0: It. it- to me, it feels like a truly communal space and I'm super grateful
1: to have it. Oh, I, I thank you. That's that's the whole idea. That's what what I wanted. Um,
0: um How do you see? I'm just it?
1: glad to have made it as far as I have. Um, I think the the big part of it was coming to Rio town. I had no idea what to expect when I came here. I kind of thought, oh, you know, I knew it was a bad part of town there, but it really wasn't. I think guys no. for, for Dylan Rogers or McNaughton Rogers and uh, Ryan Ward. they and, were phenomenal.
0: And uh, again, it, it takes people to sort of say, no, this is, this is a way better spot than you realize. And now yeah. you can't find space down there, Heather.
1: No, you can't. You can't, and I just—I don't. I'll be here until I'm done. You know, I, I love it down here.
0: I'm. You are. Uh, you you truly are uh, at the heart of this community, and oh. uh, and, it's, and it's yeah that it's, makes it's, me feel really good.
1: <laughs> um,
0: well, one of the one of the reasons that I started having these conversations with people and that I wanted to share them with anyone and everyone who would listen was that people my whole life talk about the cool stuff they want and the cool things sure. that they see and the cool things they hear about and the cool, and I'm using air quotes, the cool mm-hmm. places around the country that there are to live. And I thought about all of them, whether it's Seattle or Nashville or San Francisco or
1: Boston right.
0: or New York in the 70s, they, they, they all centered around this sort of collection of creative people Mm -hmm. unique unique businesses and communities and these sort of like large stitched together quilts of people from disparate universes who all make a scene yeah you know a, a, a scene whether that whether that scene is new york jazz in the 50s or grunge in the late 80s or uh you know something else
1: yeah it, totally. it
0: isn't it's never just the bands it's the bars it's the restaurants it's the coffee shops it's the record stores it's um
1: it's you know, a conglomeration of people that yeah all make a cohesive thing together
0: yeah and 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 so i think it's important for for me in my position to be able to point out the value that you bring to the community by doing that and being able to, like I say all the time, I don't want to make this too Lansing-centric, but this is the world I move in, and these are the people I know, and this is the story I'm best equipped to tell. Right. And so my mantra I, is: you want cool shit, you got to support it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Gotta, don't you, be one of those people that say it's going out of business. Really? Oh, that's too bad. Oh my God, I should have went. Well, yeah. yeah. There, that's that's it. You should have yeah. went.
0: Um and and, you know, and some stuff, it's not the right time, or it isn't going to happen or what, whatever. But right. if you believe in something, and you love it, and you're glad to have it in your community, don't take it for granted.
1: Yeah. Don't assume totally. it's,
0: don't assume it's fine, because it, the likelihood is, especially right now, it probably isn't fine. It's right. probably closer to the edge than you realize.
1: Oh, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, I know you have on more, more than one more occasion. More
1: times than, um, than I wish to even think about.
0: Yeah. Um, I, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you oh, so much.
1: Welcome.
0: Thank you so much for running such an inclusive and amazing space. It's um, oh, it's thank it's you so it's, much. it's a it's a treat thank to, you, talk to for,
1: you you know, helping me out and having shows here. And, you know, it's it's awesome. I I think I know some pretty cool people. Um, I think we both...
0: Thank you very much, Heather. That's that's really kind of you to say. Look, I'm not going to leave that gorilla in the room. I'm going to acknowledge that's a super weird edit and a way to end that interview. But I'm unable to uh, accept a compliment uh, with any degree of grace or... (laughs) Uh, uh, landing it with a full 10. Um, so I went on from there to small talk about stuff that was completely inside baseball that didn't have anything to do with our interview. And, uh, and it just seemed like that was a, a natural, not natural, but it was the best place for me to kind of gracefully bow out. Uh, but, what, a, what an amazing, sweet, wonderful person, and what a great store. Um, thank you so much, Heather, for talking to me. Thank you for being here. Please make sure you're engaging. Find us on Substack, whatamimaking.substack.com. Sign up for a paid subscription. Go over there, follow us, get on notes, check it all out. Get us on the socials. Make sure you're paying attention to the essays. And I will see you next time, my friends. Thanks for everything. And be well. Cheers.
1: and his ADHD again.